Praise the Lord, church. It's, uh, it's good to be here on a Sunday. It's good to see your faces. Um, I'm so used to looking at a phone. Or, um, but it's, I, was, I was thinking with my wife, I said, it's been over a year. It's been over a year since we've seen all of you guys. And it is a, it is a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I enjoy preaching the Word of God. Um, and it's just, it's just a pleasure. And uh, so this morning I was, uh, the Lord has really been dealing with my heart. He's really been, uh, he's really been dealing with me a lot of stuff that I think, uh, I think the church, I really think the church needs. Um, I'm always one of those people that I like to think ahead. I wouldn't call myself a prepper, but I'm, I'm somebody who likes to think ahead, always prepare, always store up, save. Um, and I've been told that by people I work with. People say, you know what? You're different, Chris. You think ahead. I can tell by just watching you work that you're always one step ahead of everything else. You know, you're always on top of things. And um, I, think, I think that way the Lord knows how I work and how, how my mind works. And so uh, recently, these last few years, a lot of the things that the Lord has been showing me, he's been moving me into a deeper walk with him, moving me into deeper things. Um, and so that's where this message comes from this morning, is a desire to go deeper. Because I think the church, uh, a lot of what we have is we create kind of a bubble around ourselves. I can speak to that for my own family. A lot of people have asked me, how is it, you know, how do you raise your family? What is your family like, you know? Because they see my kids. They're, for the most part, pretty well behaved, um, you know. But the thing is, is with my family, they are in a bubble. I do keep them. My home is a safe place. Uh, me, and, me and Katie decided real early that we're not going to allow our kids to see the things that we saw. I grew up in a home where I heard my parents fight all the time. And I remember kind of the trauma that, that, that comes with that, being a little kid, hearing your parents argue and fight and curse and swear. And, and no, nothing physical, but it was verbal. And I saw that. I, I, I lived through that, and it was a scary thing. Um, and so Katie and I, we don't, we don't have that in our home. If we have a disagreement, we'll kind of go in the bedroom and uh, we'll, we'll discuss something away from the kids. But it won't, uh, it won't be verbal. It won't be calling each other names. It won't be in front of everybody. We keep our house safe. In, uh, when it comes to uh, entertainment, we, we don't just have cable TV. We don't just watch anything on television. We have a TV, but we, uh, we, want, we, we, we make sure that whatever we put before our kids' eyes is something that's suitable. So our kids aren't exposed to excessive violence drugs or alcohol. They aren't uh, used to scary movies. They're very sheltered, but they're very happy kids. They're very trusting kids, and they're very loving kids. They're not exposed to all of that. I try to keep all that out. But that being said, as they get older, they have to get exposed to that. They have to get to realize what's outside of the bubble, what's outside of mom and dad's house. And every once in a while, that creeps in. Katie and I will be talking, and we'll hear about, did you hear what happened in the news? Did you hear that person died? Did you hear there was that tragic accident, that person was shot and killed? Or, And Charlotte, I'll see her ask questions, why does that happen? 
Why, why would somebody do that? And I have to explain her. I said, there's evil in this world. I was like, we've, Charlotte, we've kept you away from a lot of that stuff. But there's, there's evil out there. There's wickedness. And people don't know God like you do. When you go out of our house, you're going to experience things. You're going to see things. You're going to see the real world. You're going to see people with addictions, with uh, drugs, because they don't have God. And they don't know where to go. And they trust in alcohol or drugs. We've had those talk with our kids. We're trying to prepare them. One of these days, you're not going to be under our roof. You're going to be out there and you're going to see these things. We've sheltered them for as long as we could, but eventually they're going to have to go out there. They're going to have to experience these things. They're going to have to see these things with their own eyes. They're going to have to see people at their, their wit's end. And so we foster that. We talk to them. We say, hey, this is what it's like out there. Not everybody believes in God. You're going to hear different ideas. You're going to hear different things. And I think sometimes in the church, I think we try to create a bubble. We have services and we're very encouraging. We lift people up. We build people up. And we talk about the benefits, right? The, how great it is to live for God. How if you out there right now don't know God, how wonderful it is to have God in your life. We talk about this all the time. We encourage people. We lift people up. But I don't want people to think that that's all there is in living for God. That's not everything. There's more to living for God than just being on top of the mountaintop. Because sometimes if you were to turn on your TV this morning or during the week and you watch those preaching channels, you would think that a Christian lives on top of the mountain every single day of the year, right? That you're living your best life as a Christian every single day. Because that's just not the truth. And so this morning, I'm going to have one of those talks with you that I have with my children. I'm going to have one of those talks and I'm going to talk about, hey, there's more to it. There's more to being on the mountaintop because trust me, you need more ministry when you're in the valley than when you need on the mountaintop. There's more ministering. Pastor, uh, Pastor Larry, I bet you, you talk to more people in the valley. When they ask for your counsel, when they want to speak to you in your office, it's when they're in the valley. It's not when they're on the mountaintop. When they're on the mountaintop, they're, they're going around and they're talking about how great God is and the healing and the miracles. But people need ministering when they're in the valley. And that's where they need the most ministry is when they're in the valley. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the Apostle Paul. I've been fascinated about the Apostle Paul because in my own mind, I look at the Apostle Paul and I've always looked at him as kind of a superhero. If you think about it, he did so much in the kingdom of God. You read about his missionary journeys in the book of Acts and him starting a church, establishing a church here and there and just traveling and, and God speaking to him and him moving and him withstanding opposition. And you think, man, that's, that's a man of God. That's, that's what I want to be. But if you really look, and I, and I spent this week and I was just reading the epistles, if you look at what Paul actually said, it's a lot different than the picture that's painted in the book of Acts. You see something that's more real, more well-rounded. See, a lot of the times we hold people in this image and we only remember the good things and we forget the flaws. We forget the hard times. 
I can say that personally for my family. I, uh, my, my family is very proud of my grandfather on my dad's side, Earl Hewer. Very, uh, he was a man who fought in World War II. He fought uh, in the Pacific Theater on the island of Guadalcanal. Um, and those that don't know about World War II, Guadalcanal was one of the first islands that the U.S. took. And they used that island to island hop, basically, until eventually they could get to Japan and bomb mainland Japan. So that was one of the, the, the fiercest battles that was fought, was taking that first island. And my grandfather was there, and he, he defended an, an airfield. Um, and and he, talks, he would talk about one night where the Japanese just came wave after wave after wave. They just never stopped all night long. They were so hopped up on drugs, they just kept coming wave after wave. And uh, he said, I didn't think he was going to live through that night. Just wave after wave. And, you know, my grandfather passed away when, uh, when the same year, a few months after Katie and I got married. And uh, ever since then in my family, it's like my grandfather can do no wrong. <laughs> he almost has like a superhero status in our family. We always remember the good things he did. And what's kind of forgot is the mistakes. And sometimes when my family tells stories, I kind of think, where was my grandfather at? <laughs> but if we look at a full picture, we got to look at the good things and we got to look at the bad things. Because nobody's perfect. There are no superheroes out there. And so we can look at the Apostle Paul and we can look at this superhero. But if we look closely, if we look closely at words, we'll see something that's, something that's not promoted, something that's not preached a lot, something that's not talked about. We see another side of Paul. So I want to begin this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 22. reason that Paul wrote the second book of Corinthians, it's a very hard book to understand because he's really talking a lot about himself. Most of the time he doesn't speak much of himself, but in second Corinthians, he's talking about himself. The Corinthians had some doubts as to whether he was really a man of God. They had some questions, some people some other people had come and, and put doubts in their mind about Paul, whether he was really an apostle, whether he was really a man of God, and he had to defend himself. He had to defend himself in this letter. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11 and 22, he says, are they Hebrews? Those that went against Paul were Jews. He says, are they Hebrews? He said, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths often. He says, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice or three times I was beaten with rods. Once 
I was stoned. Thrice or three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, meaning in the water. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So he's saying, besides all these things that have happened to me, beaten, shipwreck, all these things, being naked and cold and hungry, despite all this, I still have to take care of the church. All of this, and I still have to take care of the church. This doesn't look like, this isn't a picture of a Paul that is victorious. This is a picture of Paul that's suffering. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, and this is the conclusion of his letter to the Galatians. He says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He says, I bear it. I took those stripes. I've done just as the Lord showed us. You know, throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus would say, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? That means the what you see me do, you are going to do that also. You are going to go there too. You are going to suffer rejection. You are going to suffer persecution. You are going to be spat on. You are going to be mocked. You are going to be beaten. And Paul is saying, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came unto us, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Listen to that. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above our strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. That doesn't sound like somebody who's victorious. He despaired to even be alive. He says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He said, all of this happened. We despaired of life that we should not trust in ourselves, that we should not put our confidence in us and in what we can do, but that we put our confidence in God. You understand the things that we are going through, the things that we are going to go through in our walk with God are going to push us to those limits. That we're going to get to the point and we're going to even wonder, Lord, please come. Come quickly. Just come and deliver me. I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to go through these trials anymore. I don't want to see this pain. 
Just deliver. Just come, Lord. Just come already. What are you waiting for? Just come and take us away from this. But the Lord is not doing it to bring us to despair. He's doing it so that in that moment, in that moment that we feel so down and desperate that we turn to God and say, God, I can do nothing but trust you. I can do nothing but put my heart and my mind and my trust in you. I can do nothing but give you everything. See, that's it. When we come to God, we are to surrender to God. We are to give God everything, but we all know how that works. We have a moment. We come on Sunday morning. We come in prayer meeting, and we pour our heart out to God. And then what happens on Saturday? What happens on Monday? What happens Sunday night? Things happen. Things come our way. And the enemy comes and tests that, right? Have we really given everything over to God? Well, the Lord has a way of doing it. And he puts you at your end. He allows things to come upon us. He allows sickness. He allows hard times to come upon us. Tribulation so that we can say, man, I can't do it anymore. I have to give it all up. I'm not going to hold this on anymore. So that's what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. They did this. So that we could put our trust in God. Listen to this. He says in 2 Corinthians, and again, he's defending himself. 2 Corinthians 12 and 15. He says, I will very gladly be spent, spend and be spent of you. I will give. I will give all that I can to you. He says, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. This is Paul. He says, the more that I love you, the more effort and the more care that I put into the church, the less I receive. I'm giving of myself. I'm giving of my time. I'm giving of my money, right? He was a tent maker. He would make things so he could fund his missionary journey so he could see the Corinthians, so he could minister to them. He didn't take their money for him. He worked with his own hands and he gets there and they reject him. He finds out that people are saying things against him and the the church is believing it. And here he is defending himself and he's saying, the more that I love you, the more that I give, the less I'm loved. See what I'm saying, church? I want to give you a more rounded background than just a man who was victorious in everything he did. He felt the same things that we felt. He felt rejected. He felt like he was giving and he wasn't getting anything in return. That he was loving and he was putting everything out there and he wasn't getting anything back. I've had to be tested with this myself. I've testified to my church. I said, you know, every time I go back, recently I went back for my, my grandfather's funeral. And I've done nothing for my family but give. Right? I've come, I, 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 you know, I'll draw at the drop of the hat, I'll, I'll, I'll go over there to Sacramento. I'll do everything I can for them. But it seems like, Pastor Larry, the more and more I draw closer to God, the less and less I'm received by my own family. The more and more I feel that rejection. Uncles in the Lord that were really close to me, serving the Lord, now they don't hang around me anymore. And this is in the church. 
people that I was close with, that I was friends with, don't even acknowledge that I exist. But you see, this is what the Lord showed us. You know, that as he, closed, as he started getting closer to Calvary, more and more people turned away from him. More and more people walked away from him. And here is Paul in his mission and churches that he established, souls that he won to God that doubt his own ministry, that doubt him as a man of God, that question him, people that he won, a church that he established. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, he says, For I think that God has set forth the apostles last as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. We are fools. He says, we are the filth of the world. I understand what he says. Being reviled, we bless. Right? Even though you're rejected, even though people don't like you, you continue to give. You continue to give. You continue to show up. Give of your money. Give of your time. Doesn't matter. You just keep doing it. They curse you, you bless them. They take, you give more. This is what Paul has showed us. Galatians 4 and 13. He says, You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh, you despise not, nor rejected, but receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He says, Where then is the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes given them to me. So above all the persecution that Paul had, he had an infirmity in the flesh. He says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Do you know that Paul was going blind? If you look in the back of the letters where it says who wrote the letter, you will find very few letters were actually written by Paul. Most of the time, it was some helper, Timothy or somebody else that wrote and penned the letters at Paul because he was going blind. He was losing his eyesight. At the end of the book of Galatians, he said, you see how large of a letter I have written unto you. And I've always thought, well, he wrote a long letter. But think about it. Galatians is not a long letter. I think he was just writing with really big words. <laughs> how somebody who's having a hard time sing, right? Right, Brother Harold? Large, extra large print, right? 
the largest print you can get. But, but, but a child of God should always be victorious. They should always be on the mountaintop, right? They should never have to suffer. They should never have sickness. The great apostle Paul and all that he did for God, he was losing his eyesight? Yeah, he was losing his eyesight. He also said in 2 Corinthians 12, 12 and 7 through 9, he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, this thorn in the flesh, I don't believe it was the same thing as his eyesight. Some people say he had gout. But I don't, I, I, I don't read anything about that. I don't know where they get that from. But it said he had a thorn in the flesh. And it says after that, the messer, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. I believe it was a person. It was somebody that opposed Paul. That wherever Paul went, he would go and try to undermine what Paul said. Kind of like a little thorn in the flesh. Every time he would go and establish a church, there would be other people. He called them messengers of Satan. They would come and they would try to turn the church around. They would try to add things to what Paul said. They would discredit Paul's name. And he called them messengers of Satan. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, he said, I besought the Lord. I prayed to God. Right? Why do I have to keep doing this? Why do I have to keep justifying myself? Why do I have to keep writing these letters and saying, hey, I am an apostle. I am a man of God. You saw me. So I, I talk, he talked to the Lord. He said, Lord, get rid of this. I'm tired of this. I don't want to keep justifying myself. I, I, I want to be able to preach. I want your word to spread. He prayed. Three times, he prayed three times that it might depart from him. On three separate occasions. How many times have we prayed for things, right? We'll pray, God seemingly doesn't answer. We'll pray again, God, you really need to touch this. You really need to touch this. Paul prayed three times. This is the same Paul that saw a lame man and he raised him up, right? This is the same Paul that cast out demons, So you would think that his prayers reached to heaven, right? He'd really get a hold of the throne of God. Said he prayed three times. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. This is going to be your weakness. This is something that you're going to deal with everywhere you go, Paul. This is something that is going to carry you. You're going to have to carry this weakness. You're going to have to carry this burden. You're going to constantly have to justify yourself before people that you think you shouldn't. But I'm not going to touch this. I'm going to allow them to keep doing what they're doing. You're just going to have to rely on me. First Corinthians 10 and 31. He says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense 
neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. He says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Notice what he said there. I please all men in all things. My goal is to be out there and is to help other people. I'm trying to please everybody. And I'm not seeking my own. I'm not seeking my own profit. I'm going out there doing what I can. I'm being spent of men. I'm being rejected. But I attempt to please all men in all things. Paul gave up a lot. He surrendered. He gave up a lot. From Philippians 3 and 5, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Concerning zeal, persecute. oh, I said that again. But what things were gained to me, those I counted a loss for Christ. Yeah, doubtless I count all things but a loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I know I've preached, to this, preached this before to you, but to a Hebrew man, his heritage was everything. I always tell my church when we go through Bible studies and you read the begats and the begats and, you know, in the beginning of the Bible, probably one of the more boring things to read about like, do we have to read all the begats and the begats? And most of the time, we just skip over that stuff. But it was important to them. It was important to the Hebrews. They wanted to know where they came from. Amen. Genealogy was very big. Your ancestry, where you came from. To be able to locate the tribe that you came from, your family. That's why that stuff was put in the Bible. They wanted to be able to trace everything all the way back to Adam. It was very important. So when Paul says this, hey, right? I'm a stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew. I was a Pharisee. He's going through his history. He's going through his genealogy, what he was. This is who I am, right? We do the same thing about our culture, our race, sometimes where we're from. We're very proud of our family. He was very proud of his family, but he says, I gave it all up. I gave up everything Amen. for Christ. Hallelujah. We've been reading in the Gospels where the man who was healed, who was blind, right? He was blind. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they questioned him and they said, who healed you? He said, it was Jesus. Remember? And they, and they told him, they said, uh, this man's a sinner. Give glory to God. <laughs> and they brought his parents up. They said, was this your son? Was he born blind? He said, yeah, he was born blind. But they said, as to how he was healed, we don't know. You ask him. He's of age. Go, go ask him. And it said that his parents said that because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. It was everything in life. If you got put out of the synagogue, you were done. Right? You had no more life. There was no more religious life for you. So everybody was afraid. They said even some of the priests, even some of the scribes, they did believe in Jesus, but they didn't want to confess him openly because they would get put out of the synagogue. Imagine having a, 
uh, a picture at the door, Pastor Larry, this person is not allowed in this building anymore. This person can't come in here. He's gone. You're never going to make it. You're never going to have a relationship with God. You are done. That's what they did in the medieval times. The Catholic Church would tell, uh, would tell kings or rulers or people, they would uh, be excommunicated from the church. It's, you can never come back to the church. You were done. You were destined to spend eternity in hell. You were done. It was a tool that they would use. If they didn't like somebody, they would excommunicate you. And they would basically tell everybody, you have a right to treat this person horrible because they're, they've done something against the church, they're done. They can no longer come back. They can no longer be reconciled to God. They are forever lost. That's what it meant for a Jewish man to receive Jesus Christ. Everything they knew was gone, was done. They were going to lose everything. And Paul said, I counted it all but dung. Right? We all know what that is, right? I counted all but dung. I gave everything up. It doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is Jesus Christ. I gave everything up for him. First Corinthians 9 and 24. Know you not that they which run a race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Think about that. He says, we're running a race. Not everybody's going to win. This is not, this is not kindergarten. This is not first grade where everybody gets a prize. Everybody gets a trophy, whether you try or whether you don't. He says, no. Run. If you think about that, we, we look at, like pretty soon here, the Olympics are going to come up again. And... Um, you see all these, you see these men like Michael Phelps or, you know, he, he wins all these medals. I don't know how many medals the guy's won. He's won, you know, a boatload of gold medals. We see what he does there in the Olympics, but what we don't see is the work that it takes to get to that level. Amen. We just see the results. What Paul is telling, he's saying, run that race. Come on, we're running that race. There's going to be an effort. There's going to be something that's put in. You're going to lose something. You don't think those men give their lives for whatever they're doing? I'm sure Michael, Michael Phelps lives in the swimming pool. That's all he does is swim. He's seen his arms and his shoulders. They're huge. He gives up his time. He gives up everything just to be there, right? Just to win those medals. He's saying this is the way it is in living in the kingdom of God. It's a race. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible, that crown of life. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4 and 8 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, 
not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. If we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Notice that we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You understand that in living for God, I've always said this, these trials, the things that we go through are meant to change us. They're meant to change the way we think and the way we live. And here is Paul. He's saying, yeah, there's trouble on every side. Yet we're not distressed. Right? I see trouble here. I see it there. It's everywhere. But I'm not distressed about what's going on. We're perplexed, but not in despair. There's no despair here. We see everything that's going on around us, but we're not despaired. We're persecuted, but I know I'm not forsaken. Amen. I'm, I'm getting beat with the stripes, right, in Philippi. But I know the Lord is with us. And we know the story. He cries out. He sings in the night, Paul and Silas, right? After he's been beaten, he's in the prison and he's singing Amen. to God. I'm being persecuted, but the Lord didn't leave me. I haven't been forsaken. He says, I've been cast down, but not destroyed. I'm always bearing about the, die, the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus. I'm always taking on those stripes. I'm doing what my Lord showed me to do. Ephesians 3 and 13 he says, wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. For this cause, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to his riches and his glory to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. Amen. <laughs> See what he's saying there? He's all, don't faint. Don't be, don't be discouraged by what you see me going through. Don't be discouraged. You see me going through. Don't be discouraged. Right? I'm being strengthened by the inner man. The spirit that's in the inner man. I'm being strengthened through all of this. Right? This is not for our destruction. He's there to strengthen us. Philippians 4 and 11. This is one that we quote all the time, but we only quote part of it. We don't quote the whole thing. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed to both be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. We always quote that last part. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Right? I can do all things. Yeah, I can, I can overcome this. I'm, you know, 
I'm going to be able to make it. I got that job interview. I'm going to get it because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm going to get that pay raise, right? But we don't understand in the context in which Paul said it, right? I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry. There are times when I am going to be satisfied. I'm going to be full. I'm going to feel that warmth. We all know that feeling after you've eaten a big meal, that satisfaction. I'm going to have that feeling, but I'm also going to feel hungry. I'm also going to feel empty. He's like, I've learned to be content with whatever's going on in my life. I understand how this works. There are times of being full and there are times of being hungry. I know how to abound. God is blessing. Man, the the blessings are coming. The financial blessings. Money is flowing. Money is good. Everything is really, it's just clicking. Everything is running. And then there are times when nothing is coming in. Paul experienced that here. He experienced times of the windfall. Yeah, it's coming. Boom. Just getting blessed left and right. And then he's, he's had to cinch the belt. It's not coming. It's not coming in. But he says, after all of that, he says, I can do all things. Or I can endure all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It doesn't matter what condition I am. God is there with me and he's there strengthening me. I can do all things through Christ with strength and me. Reminded me, there's a song, and my wife told me about it. I think it was probably about a year or so ago. Have you, have you ever heard of the song, It Is Well With My Soul? You guys know the story behind that song, how it was written, the purpose behind it. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford, right? I think it was in 1871. And he had, I want to say five kids. He had five kids, four daughters, one son. He was married. And he had his four-year-old son die. And in that same year, he was some, he's somebody who had a lot of money, a lot of wealth. He owned a lot of property, a lot of buildings. There was a great fire in Chicago and left him almost penniless. He lost everything. Great fire in Chicago in 1871 destroyed most of his wealth. And so he decided, okay, I'm going to pick up. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to England. I'm going to go help in the ministry there. There was a minister at the time, D.L. Moody. I'm going to go help in, in the ministry. And so he was prepared to leave with his family to go to England. Something came up, and he couldn't get on the boat with his, with his wife and daughters, and he sent them ahead. On their way to England, they got in a boat accident. Two boats rammed each other. All four of his daughters died. And he got a telegram from his wife saying, I'm saved, only one. He gets on a boat, and he goes to meet up with his wife in England. And as he goes around the area where they tell him that his daughters died, where they sunk into the ocean, he penned the song, It Is Well With My Soul. A lot of the times these words that, that we read in the Bible, we don't know what's behind them. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
Understand what's behind those words when he says that. Of all the things that I have yet told you, the suffering of persecution, the beatings, the rejection, the despair, even despairing of life. Paul would even write, and I believe it's to the, um, he, he said in, uh, in, in the Philippian church, and this was where he was also beaten, remember, where he was beaten with stripes. He told the Philippian church, I'm, I'm between two, to be with the Lord or to stay with you, right? I'm torn. I want to go to be with my Lord. I want to leave this old world. I want to go to be with God. But I know that it's more beneficial for me to stay here with you and to minister and to continue to further the gospel. And he's like, he's writing this from prison and he's saying, (laughs) see, Paul was in prison twice. The first time is what you read in the book of Acts. And so he's writing this letter. He says, I'm torn. I want to go. I've, I've suffered, right? He's been in shipwreck. He's been all these, been bit by a viper, should have dropped dead. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. But I know that I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. One of the last things that Paul said in one of the last letters he wrote, he was speaking to Timothy. And there's a lot that comes out of Timothy. He tells 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 3. And this is the very last book that he wrote, last epistle. The last words he ever penned. He said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is a fellow minister. He says, endure hardness. You're going to be hardened. In 2 Timothy 2 and 9, he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Paul didn't do anything wrong, but he said, I'm suffering as an evildoer. Just as Jesus hung on the cross with thieves. He said, I'm suffering as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But listen to what he says. He says, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Philippians 1.29, he says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for his sake. We don't like that one, do we? First Thessalonians 3 and 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that you should suffer tribulation, even as it has come to pass, and you know. Church at Thessalonica suffered a lot of persecution. He says, and you guys are seeing it. We told you 
that you were going to suffer, and you are suffering. Second Timothy 3 and 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Yeah, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Romans 8 and 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates us from God. Nothing that we endure. Final scripture, 2 Timothy 4 and 16. And this is, I said 2 Timothy was the last thing he wrote, but this was one of the last verses he penned. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Now, remember what I said about the Lord? When he was taken, everybody departed from him. None of his disciples stood by him. And here's Paul, the very end, he's saying, at the first, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He says, I pray to God that it might, be not, might not be laid to their charge. Lord, don't fault them. All right, everybody fled for him. He was a criminal. This is his second persecution, his second imprisonment, and this is the one where he will die. He said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. People in this world, they, they departed from me. They left. My, my companions, those people that were with me, that were by my side, ministering unto me, helping me, they left. It was just me. And he said, I pray to God that it may not be laid to their charge. I think I told you, church, I, uh, when, when I buried, uh, when, we, when I went to Sacramento to my grandfather's funeral, I told the church there, and I think I preached here as well, I, I thought my grandfather had the best possible funeral or death that I think a person could have. And he lived to be, is it 80, 87, 88 years old? And uh, at his deathbed, he had... Family, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids all standing, watching with him as he was going into the last hours and minutes of his life. And I thought that's, that's the greatest way a person could, could leave this world. And I told the church there, my family, I said, you know, has anybody ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? The very end of the book, Christian, he's on the river waiting to cross that river and go into to end this life. 
And I told them, I said, my grandfather was there with his family to see him cross that river. Now, what I just read to you right here with Paul, he's there at the end. And he says, nobody's with me. Nobody's there. And he said, Lord, don't, don't hold that against them. Don't hold that against them. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, Amen. to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Some one of the last things that Paul wrote. He will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Here is this great man of God who we read about years. The end of that book, he would say, send, come to me. He was telling Timothy, come to me. Come be with me. Here's a man that at the end of his life, he said, the Lord stood with me. The Lord was with me. Sam, Brother Chris, why do you preach like this? <laughs> why do you preach these messages? Why do you bring everything down? We want to be lifted up. It's Sunday morning, right? It's Sunday morning. We want to be encouraged. We want to be lifted up. I want to be encouraged too. I want to be lifted up too. But I want you to have an understanding of what it is to live for God. Jesus said, consider the cost. Amen. Consider the cost that is going to be coming our way if we decide to serve the Lord. Yes, we will suffer things, but we have the Lord who is with us always. Amen. He will be there to strengthen us and to lift us up and to encourage us. Amen. Those in this world, they do not have that encouragement. They end up turning to other things. They end up turning to drugs or alcohol other vices in their life because they have nothing to sustain them. Whether we live for God or whether we don't live for God, we will suffer the same things. We will suffer heartache. We will suffer loss. We will see loved ones die. But we have this assurance in living for God. We have this assurance with our Lord that he will be there with us always. He will be there to strengthen us. When we're sick in our, in our bed, he will be there and he will strengthen us and he will give us encouragement and he'll lift us up. Amen. When we are there and we feel alone and we feel that nobody understands us and nobody knows what we're going through, he knows. Amen. He knows. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to have nobody standing around him. He knows what it feels like to have the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knows what it feels like. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. Amen. I, I told the church, I told my church, I said, how will we know that he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother if we never feel like nobody's standing next to us? Amen. If we never get in that desperation, in that situation where we don't feel anybody's there with us, how will we ever know that he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? We are going to go through these things. And it doesn't, I, I know you have a good pastor. Pastor Larry's good and he'll always be there for you. But there will be times when you will feel like nobody is there with you. you will be, there will be times when you feel like nobody's there to comfort you and nobody understands you. 
but the Lord will be there. And it's not because you don't have a good church. It's not because people aren't following. It's because the Lord wants you to trust in Him. The church does everything they can to help you. And they're there for you and they'll help you. But you know what? There are some things that we will not be able to be there for you for. You just can't. You will feel those times where you are lonely. You will feel those times when you are at your end, when you despair of life, even living for God. But understand the Lord wants you to know, I am there. I am next to you. I am strengthening you. I am lifting you up. What you are experiencing is not unusual. Do not think that because I am going through these things that God has cursed me and that there's something wrong with me and that God is not listening to me and he's not understanding me. That is not what's happening. The Lord is doing this that he could change us and transform us into his image. We are to take on the nature of Christ and be like him. And how can we do that if we do not suffer as he suffered? How can we do that if we do not go through heartache and trials and tribulation and feel in need like he felt? These things are not to destroy us, church. I did not say this to destroy you, but I know that you may be on the mountaintop today, but tomorrow you'll be in the valley and you'll need this. You'll need to know that the Lord is there strengthening you. That it doesn't matter. He hears you. He knows where you're at. He knows where you're going. And he's doing it for you.